Well, thanks for, for sharing, uh, Chris and Erica, but also Ted and Denise. It's uh, great to have you here with us today. Uh, thanks for making time to join us and share a little bit um, while you're in town. Um, everyone, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and can someone do me a favor and hit the lights for me? Um, that way you guys can see your Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are going to be uh, really in what I, what I think is uh, certainly one of the most uh, terrifying passages in Scripture. And uh, you, can, uh, you can go to uh, Revelation, you can go to the Old Testament and find a lot of prophecies, and you can read about uh, the wrath of God and condemnation and, and all of those things, and they're terrifying uh, but this passage is, uh, to me, even worse. And so, um, and we're going to see why, and we're, we're going to study it, and we're going to see um, why Jesus said this. So, we are at, we're coming towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is not the last message. Next week, we'll finish up the Sermon on the Mount, and then we'll begin looking uh, ahead to Easter. But um, what we have here is, is Jesus kind of concluding um, probably the greatest sermon ever recorded. Okay, and that comes in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21, which says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We, we thank you for uh, the reports from our missionaries who uh, have been uh, really all over the place and impacting the world with your gospel, Lord. God, we, we thank you that we get to hear from them and have fellowship with them today. And uh, we're, we're encouraged by their reports and, and the, min the work that you're doing through them. Uh, God, we, we just thank you for, for that. And uh, God, we also thank you for Becky and, and her baptism and her faith and what you've called her to do. And, uh, and um, uh, Father, we, we just we rejoice in you this morning. And, and God, we, we worship you as our God and as our Savior. And, uh, and God, we are uh, honored and humbled to have the opportunity to come before you and to worship you. And God, we pray that our, our worship this morning would be acceptable to you, that we would bring you joy this morning. And, and the same uh, for downstairs, the, the team that is ministering to the kids and teaching the kids and singing with the kids and sharing the gospel with the kids, Lord, we, we pray for them and we pray for the children that are hearing the messages and uh, receiving the gospel, Lord. We pray that you would work in them so that ultimately you would give them a faith and help them to grow to be men and women of incredible faith and service to you. Father, we, um, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. We're grateful that we don't live um, in a place like Nepal where, where this would be illegal, Father, but, but that we get to stand openly and declare the gospel, declare Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, like I said, this, this passage 
is one of the most terrifying in all of Scripture, not because it describes hell or or how awful that would be, not because it describes what separation from God would be, but because Jesus is telling us that there are going that there are people who who are crying out to him, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, depart from me. That there are people who have done mighty works, who have prophesied in his name, who have cast out demons in his name. And yet, Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, as you read this passage... I hope you have asked your question. I, hope, I mean, the natural question, the immediate question that comes to mind when you read this passage is, how do I know? How do I know this isn't me? How do I know that I won't be one that is saying, Lord, Lord, I've, I've done great works in your name. How can I be sure that I won't be among these? As we read these scriptures, we read this passage, we, we should ask ourselves that question. So, the good news is, is that that's essentially what Jesus is, is addressing. And next week is going to be kind of a part two. It's, it's an illustration or a parable of how to apply this. But, um, you know, Christ had, uh, last week, he warned us about false prophets and false teachers and how um, and all of that and warned us uh, not to get caught up in that. There are religious leaders, and, and we, t- we said this last week, who profess to teach and preach Christ, but what they really do is they preach a false gospel. They preach a gospel centered around man, or they preach um, the idolatry of, of what you can get from Jesus instead of preaching that Jesus is the gift, is the prize. False teachers produce false converts. That's what they do. You can't go to a false teacher and expect to get sound doctrine and and, and true converts. And so converts made by false prophets, uh, to be honest, they they, they might use words that sound right. And we talked about this with the false teachers. They might use words that sound correct. They might use words that are listed in Scripture, but maybe they redefine them or they they use them in such a way that it, it doesn't put Christ at the center of the message. And so their followers do essentially the same thing. They'll use the words, uh, they'll use words that sound right, but they don't put Christ at the center of their faith. So that's the difference between a false convert, a false follower, and a false teacher. False teachers produce false converts, false followers. And Christ warns all men who profess Christ about essentially the fact that some will claim his name and he will say, depart from me. And that's why it's terrifying. It's just the thought of crying out to him and him responding with, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, is terrifying. Here's what Jesus says. We're going we're gonna to break it down verse by verse. Essentially, the first thing he's going to tell us is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by a false teacher, but also don't deceive yourself. Okay? So, um, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven. Jesus teaches that we must be on guard, that we, we're not deceived. Not only must we be on guard of, of those who would deceive us, lead us away from Christ, the false teachers, right? Um, but we have to take care that we don't deceive ourselves, that, that we don't convince ourselves that we're on the right track when in fact we're not. He teaches in this passage that we must ensure that our verbal confession of faith is accompanied by a, a changed life, that our lives reflect what we claim to believe. That's what Jesus is telling us here in verse 21. He's warning against uh, just a, a, a verbal profession of faith. It's simply that and leaving it there. He's warning against those who rely on what they say to the Lord um, and what they say about the Lord but they don't love him. They have no love for him. And so Jesus is, is addressing what the people who say, yeah, I, 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 Jesus is great, Jesus is king, but their life doesn't reflect that in any way. And don't get me wrong, a verbal profession of faith, claiming Christ is king, is absolutely biblical. It is absolutely good and right, and we, we can rejoice when, when someone we know or someone we love does that. And, and it, it is biblical, but people can, can profess Christ as Lord. They can do it publicly. I mean, profess it in a spectacular way and, and even call others to do the same. We can, we can do all of these things and still be professing him falsely. And that's what we're talking about. A perfect example of this would be um, the Mormons. The Mormons will tell you, if you ask a Mormon, is, is Christ king? Is, is Christ Lord? Their response will be yes. But that doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean that, 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 doesn't mean that Jesus will accept them. Because they don't have, they've not accepted the same gospel that the scriptures teach. Jesus is saying that those who truly profess him are not simply those who profess him verbally, who give him lip service, but profess him in, in their lives. They love him. They love the truth of Christ. They love the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And look, I, I understand that when when someone claims Jesus as Lord, we, we assume that they're expressing a genuine faith, they're, that they are expressing the fact that they, they have been changed. Their lives are changed. Their heart has been transformed. And, and we, can, we can assume that and, and uh, we can celebrate with them. But to be honest, that's not always the case. Jesus is not only looking for a, a verbal profession. What he's looking for is for a life that has been completely transformed, a new creation, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. Because when we, when we proclaim Christ, when we have a genuine faith, what happens is, is we are made new, as the scripture says. We're, we're a new creation. Our heart is, is replaced. We are changed. Our will is changed. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, 
we shouldn't pursue the same things that we pursued before, before we came to Christ. When our faith is in Christ, we have a love for Jesus and the things of God. We, we change. Sin is no longer our master because grace changes our hearts. It changes our lives. The grace of God not only saves us from the penalty of sin, it changes, to be honest, everything about us, our, our entire identity. This is why Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 said this. He said, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. When we come to Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, when we are saved, our lives are changed. The scripture just describes it as being a new creation, born again. I mean, there are so many different ways to put this. But the bottom line is this. When you put your faith in Christ, you should be totally different. Everything about you should be different. What you're looking for, what you're seeking, what brings you joy, all of those things should be different. And they should be focused on Christ. They shouldn't be focused on you. They shouldn't be focused on indulging in sin. That's what Jesus is showing us here. People might use the right terminology. They might say, Lord, Lord. That doesn't mean that they actually had a faith. That's a part of it. And to start. But it's not complete. Then he continues in verse 22. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? This part is, is difficult to grasp. And to be honest, there's a, a big question mark next to this verse in probably millions of Bibles, right? Because what we see here is people are actually doing some incredible work. People are, are doing these things. Jesus doesn't deny it. But Jesus also doesn't accept them. And so there's, they're doing this work, but there's still no evidence of faith. Salvation is in Christ. And all who trust in Christ have a, have a part of the future kingdom. Faith in Christ and not empty words is the basis for our salvation. A, a genuine faith in Christ, the hope in Jesus as the only way, the, the only hope that we have for salvation, the only hope that we have to be reconciled before the holy God of heaven is in Jesus Christ. It is not in, in my morality. It is not in the things that I'm capable of doing on my own. It is in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. I have no hope outside of Jesus and neither do you. Salvation comes from a faith in Christ, not empty words. Look, our, our final um, destiny, if that's what you want to call it, will be settled not by what we say to Christ, really today or, or really on the day of judgment, but whether our verbal profession comes from a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And when it does, the evidence for that faith will, will work itself out in your life. It'll work itself out in your behavior. It'll work itself out in your morality. It'll work itself out in your will. 
You will want to do the right thing. You will want to do the things that glorify your Lord. You want to do those things before the things that glorify you. People can acknowledge intellectually that Jesus is Lord. And they may even hold this view, to be honest, with with some passion. Here, we see in the Scriptures, they're saying, Lord, Lord, they're emphasizing the Lord portion. In a way, they're biblical because they believe Jesus is God come in the flesh, which absolutely is true. That is accurate. But their belief, their belief is only intellectual. It's not a real possession. It's not a real genuine faith. There's no desire on their part to do the will of God. Look, no one can be saved and enter God's kingdom without acknowledging Christ is Lord. Everyone has to acknowledge that. Everyone, everyone who enters heaven acknowledges that. But not all who say, Lord, Lord, enter in, according to Jesus. We know that, to be honest, we, we know that um, according to Matthew chapter 8 and James chapter 2, even the demons intellectually acknowledge who Jesus is. Uh, they recognize who he is, but they're not saved. It's a public confession, but it's, it's not private. And someone can, you know, agree with um, the great creeds of Orthodox Christianity, you know, the Apostles' Creed and, and all of those. They can look back at all the, the councils and, and see what they had to say and, and, and look at those and say, okay, you know, yeah, yep, that sounds about right. But if there's no faith in Christ, then that's not good enough. One's faith must be in Jesus Christ as Savior, not in themselves. It's about who Jesus is and what he has done. And a faithful Christian loves that. A faithful Christian loves the fact that it is all about Jesus and not about man. A faithful Christian loves the fact that it's about who Jesus is because Jesus is God. A faithful Christian loves that it's about what Jesus has done. Jesus laid his life down as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, something that I am incapable of doing. One's faith must be in Christ as Savior, not in themselves. Again, it's about who Jesus is and what he has done. And this is, this is kind of where uh, the Holy Spirit comes in. You see, we, we could have a debate, right? And so uh, we could have a debate and I could convince you, or we could, we could call some of the, you know, the brilliant apologists who are great at debating and great about, uh, so, you know, we could bring in, uh, let's say, Ravi Zacharias, right? These, uh, these big old smarty pants who know everything. And, um, and someone like that, he could come in and he could debate with you and he can convince you that it is reasonable to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came and he died on the cross to Uh, for the sins of mankind. He could convince you intellectually that that's a reasonable thing to believe. And you might say, yeah, you know what? That does sound right. You know what? It is reasonable. There is a God. In your mind, you might acknowledge that. You might find it reasonable to believe in Christ as King. But without the Holy Spirit's transformation, you would still be opposed to God. In your mind, you can say that makes sense. But if, if you are not transformed, then you're still opposed to God. Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, 
but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. When the Holy Spirit regenerates you and transforms you, what happens is sin becomes foul. And you notice it in your life and you hate it in your life. And this is reflected in your life and in the way that you live. You notice sin. You repent of sin. You deal with the sins that you commit. This doesn't mean that Christians live a perfect sinless life. But what this does mean is that Christians hate the fact that we sin. We hate the fact that we rebel against God. 1 John chapter 3 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. A genuine Christian demonstrates that he's he's a Christian by his willingness to do the will of God. Again, the works do not save you. The works are the evidence of a genuine faith. No person is saved by works. But every person demonstrates his faith by works. This is why James says, faith without works is dead. Right? When someone comes to Christ and they have a genuine faith, their works are going to, to prove that faith. They're going to point to that faith. In other words, if you claim to have a faith in Christ as your Lord, but your life doesn't line up with that faith, it's no faith at all. If, if you walked forward at, at an altar call when you were in middle school, but that never changed your life, you still indulge in sin, you still enjoy sin, you still live a life of a, of a fallen person opposed to God, then maybe you acknowledge with your mind that Jesus Christ is God, but you have not been transformed. Your faith for salvation is not in Him. That's what Jesus is saying is, is possible. Real faith, real faith in Christ manifests itself. What a person really believes is something that that person also puts into practice. Christ is in no way speaking about kind of a, a, the perfection of the Christian life because no one is completely free from, from sin. And every Christian at times will do things that oppose God. Paul himself admitted uh, that, that he struggled with this in Romans chapter 7. But uh, you jump back to Matthew, Jesus is speaking about a desire for spiritual things, a a longing to conform to Christ, really a a passion to do the will of God and to, to, to keep his commandments. Christ wants your heart. He wants every part of us. And and anything less is it's not good enough. Anything less won't do it. A genuine faith reflects that faith. A a genuine faith is going to have some evidence. There's no danger for those who have been, uh, or there there is kind of a danger for those who have been raised in a Christian home, um, which is a wonderful privilege and it is a great thing. So parents, raise your kids in a Christian home, right? Teach them the faith, right? But this, this kind of, uh, I, I was raised in a Christian home as well, but one of the, one of the risks of this is that uh, children who are raised in a Christian home can intellectually uh, acknowledge who Jesus is 
but then they can do that without having any kind of a personal relationship with Christ. In other words, uh, Christ is not transformed. They're, they're, uh, they, they spend no time in prayer. They really, really don't care about prayer or spending time in the Scriptures. This can happen to, to kids who are raised in a Christian home. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These things are all done in his name. There will be many that will plead their good works before Christ on the day of judgment. And his response will be, depart from me. He won't accept them. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. There, there's going to be false teachers who will point back to you know, powerful works, miracles, or amazing things. Why won't they be accepted? They, they have done these things. And, and you, can, you can get on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it is, and you can find these yahoos that are doing just crazy things. They're false teachers, and, and they're using a language that sounds familiar. And it sounds biblical, and it sounds right. But according to Jesus, that doesn't mean that it is. Because they're doing these things, but it's being done out of man's own strength and man's own power. And they're not done for the glory of God, but for the glory of man. You also have to remember that, that Satan also has the power to do miracles. And he is um, he's looking to counterfeit the true works of God. This verse shows how close a person can actually get to salvation and still not be saved. They can do, uh, they can prophesy, which essentially is, is preach. They can cast out demons. They can do mighty works all in the name of Jesus and still not be saved. And that's terrifying. If that doesn't terrify you, then I, I, don't know, I don't know, then talk to me after the service. In verse 23, he says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice that it's not that at one point they were saved and doing great things, and they fell away and then lost their salvation. Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. People will plead their good works, their, their efforts, their miraculous feats even, but Christ will reject them. And, and these were done for man's glorification. They're doing this stuff so that they can receive honor and they can receive glory and, and they can receive attention or influence or power or wealth or whatever it is that they're seeking. And they're doing these things and they're saying, look how wonderful I am. I'm great because the Spirit of God works through me. And we see this all the time. They're doing it for their own glory. They're stealing, attempting to steal God's glory. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. They called Christ Lord, but they never submitted to his lordship. We have to remember, Judas cast out demons in the name of Christ. 
Judas was not saved. In fact, he, he hated Jesus. There are many deceived people who think they're saved. They have a false assurance. And it, it's possible for a man to say all the right things and yet live in such a way that it's, and, and live essentially an, e, an evil life. People can say the right things and they can sound right. They can sound biblical or orthodox. They can sound like they fit in, like this person is a Christian, but their life doesn't show it. They don't believe the gospel of the scriptures. They don't believe the God of the scriptures. They just know the terminology. But it's, it's just as possible for a man to have superficial works or religious works, still not be saved because the basis of all of his works is self-glory, self-interest, self-satisfaction. And to be honest, this problem is both extremely dangerous and extremely common. People can give lip service to Jesus but never hope in him, never, never put their faith in him, never love him. Jesus, in verses 22 and 23, issues a terrifying promise. He says that there are going to be people in the last day who claim to have prophesied in his name, who have cast out demons in his name, to perform miracles in his name, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name, and he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, knowing the terminology and, and, and putting up a facade is not good enough. It's not good enough. And it's not that you have to try harder. It's not that you can white-knuckle your way through this life and earn your salvation. Your hope and your faith must be in Christ Jesus and Him alone. Not in you, not in your morality, not in your good works, not in, not in a false teacher, in none of that. It's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. All of our eggs are in that basket. All of them. Jesus is the only hope. He says to these people who are doing some, some pretty incredible things, depart from me. That's terrifying. It's terrifying because of what it means. Jesus is saying that the reason that he'll reject him is because their lives did not reflect the reality of the grace of the gospel. Their lives are, are not reflecting what God has done for them, what they claim to believe. And don't get me, they did inc incredible things, extraordinary things. He doesn't argue with them about that. Essentially, he's saying, look, maybe you did great things, but your lives weren't changed by the grace of the gospel. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Your lives contradict your claim to be my disciples. Notice especially the connection between Jesus's stress on our profession of him with our lips and our obedience to him with our lives. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith. There is no obedience that we can muster up that can save us, okay? So obedience is not how you are saved. Please don't misunderstand me. We are not saved through obedience, we are saved by grace through faith. But having been saved by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit works in us, giving us obedience so that there's both grace 
and obedience as a part of what God is doing in our salvation. It is because the Holy Spirit does this that our will is changed. And and we, we take joy in doing the things that bring God glory. We take joy in singing his praises on Sunday morning. We take joy in, in helping people and serving people. We love the scriptures. We love to learn from them we, because this is how God reveals himself to us. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and we, we like it. Unless, of course, you've only given lip service. Unless, of course, you say Jesus is Lord, but you really don't trust in him. See, because the, the true Christian enjoys the things of God. But the one here in in Matthew 21 to 23 who's saying, Lord, Lord, I did great things for you. You should thank me, essentially is what he's saying. Look at what I did for you, Jesus. His response is, depart from me. Because your life doesn't line up with what you claim to believe. As believers, let me back up. You know, there are two messages, two primary messages of of almost every false, uh, false teacher I've ever heard okay, or even ever heard of, right? These two messages of the false prophets are either it's all about grace and don't worry about obedience. In other words, it's grace, grace, grace. You're going to sin, you're going to mess up, but it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal because God loves you and he would never do anything to hurt you. He would never condemn you. You would never face his wrath. That's the message of, I don't know how many false teachers we hear. Grace, grace, grace. Don't worry about obedience. Don't worry about holiness or righteousness. And then the other side of that coin is it's all about obedience. It's all about doing this and doing that. We saw that in the Pharisees of Jesus' day. You have, to, you have to get your behavior correct. If you want to be saved, you have to do the right thing. It's, it's all about behavior and obedience and, and ignore grace because God is not gracious. These are the two main teachings of every false teacher pretty much in the last 2,000 years. As believers, we must know the difference between these things. We must know the difference between both of these teachings and the truth. Some say grace, grace, grace. They'll never call people to holiness. And other people say it's all about obedience. And as Christians, we have to understand that both of those teachings are wrong. We have to understand that grace saves. We are saved by grace alone, through Christ or through faith alone, by, through, or by Christ. We receive it by faith. But it's grace that brings in righteousness. And so grace and obedience go together. Grace and obedience go together. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And it's beautiful because God gives it to us. I can't do it on my own. And here's the thing. Grace brings transformation. So true faith is always accompanied by a changed life. It is. So let me ask you, this question. And I hope you asked yourself this question already as you, as you read the passage. Where would you be? Where would you be here? As you say, Lord, Lord, is Jesus saying, depart from me? Or is he saying, I already paid the price for you. Come in. There's a big difference. In other words, is your profession It's your profession of faith when you declare Jesus as Lord. Is your profession real? Is it a profession of faith or is it lip service? Are you saying Jesus is Lord because you've put your faith and your hope and your trust in him? 
and you realize that, that you have no hope outside of Christ? Or are you saying Jesus is Lord because, because you want something from him, because you want to be glorified, because, because you're an idolater? It's a scary question, but it, it has serious, serious implications. This teaching, this teaching does not contradict the truth of salvation by grace. It reminds us that Christ has to save hypocrites just like he has to save other sinners. And if we come before him today trusting in our own righteousness, if, if you're here trusting in your own righteousness, your own morality, your own ability, my prayer is that you will realize that you have none. My prayer is that you will realize you have no righteousness on your own. And then it's time to turn to him. It's time to trust in him, to put your faith in him. My prayer is that he would convict you and reveal your sins to you and show you how desperately you need a savior. Because if you're here trusting on your own righteousness, you are headed towards the wrath of God. And my prayer is that you would turn to him and repent and trust in him because he is a savior who delights in saving sinners. He's a friend of sinners, as the scriptures say. And so, you know, we, we can sing, you know, hallelujah, what a savior. I'm sure, I'm sure most of you know that song. We absolutely depend on him. Everything that we have, all of our hope is in him. We have nothing outside of him. We bring nothing to the table, and he brings everything. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and, and we should be glad that that's the case. Because if he left it up to me, if he left it up to my own righteousness, my own morality, I would be condemned to hell. Each and every one of us would. And so my question to you is simply this. Your profession of faith, is it genuine or is it lip service? Do you honestly trust in Jesus as your Savior? If you're not sure, if there's a question mark, if, if, you, if the answer is no, if you'd like to talk about it, if you'd like to find some scriptures that, that reference that, I would love to talk to you over by the prayer wall as soon as I'm finished. I'd love to, to talk to you. I'd love to open up the scriptures. I'd love to spend some time in prayer with you. I'll, I'll take you out to coffee this week and we can talk about it for hours because that is the most important thing, talking about who Jesus is and what he has done for you and how that should impact your life. But if you say Jesus is Lord simply because your parents taught you that that's what you should say, or, or just because you, you think that that's how you, how, how you should respond, then I have to tell you, you're, you need to evaluate your faith. You need to read the scriptures and see what it says about that. Because Jesus says there are people who will say, Lord, Lord. People who have done incredible things things in his name. And he says, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. I never knew you. It's a difficult question that has serious implications. Let's pray. God, we, we ask that you would, you would enable us to, to respond in faith. God, and we give you praise and glory and honor because you are worthy of all of it. You are the God of heaven and we're not. 
You're worthy of all worship, of all glory. God, we are blown away by the fact that, that you are so gracious, by the fact that you are willing to save us, even though we, we oppose you and rebel against you. God, you still, you still saved us. You still showed your grace to us. You, you poured it upon us. Father, I pray that if there is anybody in this room, depending on their own righteousness or their own morality or their own abilities, Lord, that you would convict them of that sin, that you would lead them to repentance, that you would lead them to come talk to me or one of the elders over by the prayer wall, that we would have the opportunity to open up the scriptures and see what your word says about depending on our own righteousness. God, we're thankful that, that we don't have to do that, that we can, that we can depend on, on your grace Father, I, I pray that, that through faith that we would love you, that we would receive your righteousness, and we, we, would, um, we would worship you with our lives. Father, we, we thank you for all that you do, and, and Lord, we, we thank you for, uh, also for the opportunity to worship you in a variety of different ways, including uh, through giving. Father, we know that, um, God, we know that everything we have is yours anyway. And so we, we thank you for the opportunity to give back, to worship with our finances. And we pray that, that as we give, that they would be given as an act of worship to you. And that as they're used, they would be used to spread your name, your glorious gospel around the globe, starting right here in the Heights. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.